Hello, and thank you for tuning in to this month's edition of Classic Beauty with Bessonet Cosmetics. I'm your host, Janae. Thanks so much for joining me. This podcast is a monthly visit where we discuss goings-on within Bessonet Cosmetics. We'll share history and insight you won't find anywhere else, the backstory to products you know and love, and you'll be among the first to hear about new collections and products. We also get to chat with the founder of Besame Cosmetics, Gabriela Hernandez, and sometimes friends stop by to share with us a little more about the makeup industry. Join us today as we sit down with Brian Kinney, an Emmy-nominated Hollywood makeup artist who's known for his special effects work. Using prosthetics, he can create all kinds of blood, gore, spooky facial features, and more. We're so excited to hear more about this unique side of the makeup industry, so let's jump right in. Today, I have in the studio with me Mr. Brian Kinney, Emmy-nominated makeup artist, current makeup craft president and executive board member and journeyman of Local 706, the Makeup Artist and Hairstylist Guild, also Local 798, and Beg2 in London. As a matter of fact, that's where I met Brian. We did a presentation at the Union Craft Meeting, and he was the person that would organize all the events for all the makeup artists to attend. So that was a great time, and I really enjoyed meeting him. And he has a very impressive resume of work, uh, including work on Game of Thrones, the Hunger Games films, The Walking Dead, Westworld, Purge Anarchy. And currently he's worked on Artemis Fowl in a new version of The Witches, which looks really interesting and uh, Space Jam 2, which also sounds kind of interesting. I can't wait to talk about that. He's also a judge on the Food Network's Halloween Wars and has his own makeup FX company called Full Slap Effects, which manufactures kids that can help artists do prosthetic effects on the go. So, Brian, uh, tell us a little bit about how you got started in makeup and uh, studying in London and how <laughs> was how has uh, that all come about? Well, really, I had an interest in makeup from uh, a young age. I, I was the kind of kid that grew up uh, obsessed with Halloween. So one year I had a Frankenstein mask that I took to school for the Halloween parade a day early, and I left it in my locker. So my mom said that night, go put your costume on. We have a party at your brother's school for Halloween. And I panicked because I didn't have my mask and started crying. And she sat me down. She said, don't worry. And within probably half an hour, she made me pale. She slicked my hair back with mousse, gave me a widow's peak, a little bit of red, and I had some cheap fangs. And I looked in the mirror and I was Count Dracula. And it was this magical transformation. I never wore a mask again. Makeup was magic. So every year I'd tell my mom I want to be the Grim Reaper or a zombie. And I just got more and more into makeup. I went to the University of Iowa to study film and English literature but makeup was was still a hobby for me. So I got to a point where I realized I want to do this professionally, not just zombies and blood and things like that, but everything. So I found a school in London, the Delamar Academy, and it fit exactly what I wanted to know to start with beauty and then get into character and theater and eventually prosthetics. So I did a one-year course there, two years in London working freelance, then moved to Los Angeles where I was uh, based full-time for 15 years. I haven't looked back. Coming up on 20 years professional. Wow. So you were always interested in the effects part, not the beauty necessarily. Not necessarily beauty. I love the transformation of characters. Uh, I'd watch things like American Werewolf in London and Michael Jackson's Thriller and The Thing. And it was always the creatures and the transformations that I, I was fascinated with. I didn't appreciate all makeup until later. 
Ah, I see. Did you have to study sculpture? Was actually sculpting these things part of what you studied? I did a lot of fine art courses growing up. So I always was into drawing and sculpting and art club at school. Then when I went to makeup school, we got into sculpting basic wounds and eventually sculpting prosthetics. So that was something I, I was glad I had some background in that before I got into sculpting for makeup. So you had to have kind of like a an artist training, basic art training to know the anatomy and how to draw things correctly and do all those things before Anat- that, right? Yeah, an understanding of anatomy was certainly helpful. Uh, color theory, mm-hmm. so many skills I picked up along the way. I didn't realize until later that they helped me transition into makeup. So I recommend having an art background, but obviously you you're always learning. So what I what I lacked back then, I feel like I've I've learned a little bit more over time. Wow. Uh, so do you design any of the monsters and characters in the films that you worked on? When I get a chance, I, I do, because I have been department head of shows in the past. So that's when I really get to design and have some some creativity. Oftentimes, if I work on bigger shows, I might be part of a team, maybe 30 to 50 artists. But a lot of times a designer will have mood boards. So they give you an idea, sort of a tone for what we're going for. But then you still have some creativity to make the characters your own. So that's exciting, too. Do you work with the director to figure out what this character is supposed to look like? If I'm department head, I would work with the director and we would throw ideas back and forth and a lot of times come up with a concept together. If I'm in a bigger team, it's sort of trickled down. The overall tone has been set already between the director and the designer. And then I'm part of the team that has to execute that and make sure every character sticks in the same world. Which films did you actually develop? the character yourself? I worked on a lot of low-budget horror stuff. So uh, it's some of the films I don't even want to mention by name. (laughs) (laughs) But I had a lot of fun. I worked with Trevor Proud. I was his key on The Purge Anarchy, and I got to design masks and makeups for that with him. So I had certain characters I was assigned, and even now I'll see them on posters or I'll see them in Halloween stores. Uh, something I've designed is, is on the wall and for sale. Or maybe they're a character at Universal that's chasing me with a chainsaw. So it's kind of exciting to think this thing that I created is now iconic and has a life of its own. You know, when, your own, awesome. when your own character is chasing you with a chainsaw. Do you tell them, hey, I've made you? <laughs> sometimes I do. Uh, sometimes I see at Comic-Con or Monster Palooza, somebody will be dressed up as a character that I've done, and I'll show them pictures. This is what we did. Uh, I'm flattered that you've carried this on. Wow. So do they freak out? <laughs> yeah, they always want to want a picture. They want to hear stories. So it's just exciting. I just encourage that. Oftentimes, it's younger people, and I remember what it was like to be a kid and think, well, I don't know if I can ever make it in this business. Who am I? So when I when I meet young people that are interested, I want to tell them as much as possible, keep that passion. You can do this too. If I can do it, you can do it. So when you started, how did you actually develop into doing your own characters? And your, how long did that take? How many films did you have to work on where you were the assistant or whatever before uh, well, you got into doing that? It's it's a very organic path. And a lot of times you get curveballs that sort of force you to grow as an artist. In my case, I was working on a show called CSI New York and I was doing lab work. So I would be sculpting or painting or making prosthetics, but I wasn't allowed to do makeup because I wasn't in the union yet. It mm-hmm. still kept me busy, but Around 10, 12 years ago, there was a writer's strike or an impending writer's strike. 
and everything shut down. So it was a really hard time to find work. I ended up leaving that show and going to do some independent films. A project came along shooting near Palm Desert, and I had an opportunity to put together a crew shooting for about five or six weeks, I think, and it was designing characters, designing looks, mainly focused on beauty and character, no special effects. Hmm. So that gave me a chance to build my confidence, make some contacts, and get other films. And by the time a year had gone by, I was able to earn my way into the union, and now I could work as part of a team, or I could put myself forward to run a team and put a team together. So how far in advance do you get involved when you get a film? How far in advance do they call you to do this design work? Or If I was doing the designs, I might get called in August and know that we're going to start shooting early October. So sometimes, you know, if you're lucky, you have a month or two wow. to, to have some designs back and forth. It depends on how much you have to build in advance. If it's just sort of deciding the looks, picking the colors, designing the character, it might be an easier process. But if you're making a custom-fitted prosthetic, you might need five, six weeks of building things in a workshop to make sure it's all going to fit. Wow. And does that vary depending on how large scale the film is? Yes, it, it depends on the budget, depends okay. on the shooting schedule. A lot of times an independent feature shoots for five weeks. So if you know you only have you know, 20, 30 days of shooting, it won't necessarily have as much pre-production or need as much pre-production. Wow. So I've seen some of the pictures from The Witches because I've been talking to that particular studio and they showed me some of the some of the pictures from that. Uh, it's pretty scary. I was very surprised at how dark that looks, actually, because I remember the original with Angelica Houston, and that one is actually a lot more scary looking, this, this version. Yeah, that was a fun project to work on. I think it really comes down to some terrific casting. Some people really look the part. That's awesome. And then you're also working on Space Jam. I think it's 24 years later. Wow. Uh, I was very lucky to be part of Howard Berger's crew. He had wow. a terrific team of artists working on that. So uh, no spoilers, but uh, a lot of it's characters. It's a lot of effects, uh, a, lot, a lot of like practical effects? A, lo a lot of practical. Obvi oh, okay. Obviously, with the original, there was a, a mix of animation yes. and practical. And this is more of that. So it was, it was, oh, that's it was great. a real treat to, to be a part of. And Artemis Fowl really looks interesting, too. That has a lot of characters, right? A lot of prosthetics. That was a lot of fun, too. A ton of fantasy characters. And we were lucky to have at least a month of fittings. So we really got to design the characters ahead of time and make sure everything was going to look right. So how long does it take to put on these intricate prosthetics <laughs> on people? <laughs> um, the longest applications I've done for certain characters is about four or five hours. Wow. I think anytime somebody's in the chair longer than three hours, I start feeling bad for them, even if they're a good sport about it. I, I like to keep it moving as much as I can. And a lot of times you do a character that's 45 minutes to an hour and a half, so that's not too bad. How do you get them to relax or how do you know, not freeze up on a chair for that long? I find that most people I've worked with who are in a makeup for that long, they have experience doing creature work. Uh -huh. So they've done it before and oftentimes they can go into a zen calm. They sit in the chair and most of the times they'll fall asleep on you. So you make them comfortable. They have a headrest. Okay. And they just they just nod off. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that that works, I guess. So, how do you prep uh, the skin when you do this kind of thing? Because you use so many products, and they you have to do it over and over again. And I bet the skin gets pretty raw after a while with all these things. 
Absolutely. I mean, my favorite starting process is Kiehl's Blue Astringent. So I always tone the skin first. Then I love using Skin Saver Lotion by Jennifer Aspinall. That provides a barrier cream, and it's it's actually very gentle on the skin. So that, and then most of the time when I'm using adhesives and things, I'm using Telesis 5 or Telesis 8 silicon adhesive from Premier Products. And of course, when you're removing, you want to use something gentle. Isopropyl Miristate is sort of the standard, but SuperSolve is, is gentle. SuperSolve Plus from PPI. And then, of course, Moisturizer. I love Kiehl's Moisturizers, but there's a number of, of great ones on the market. And if, if you have the chance, it's nice to give the actors a day for their skin to rest. So maybe they're not doing the same makeup five days in a row. You don't always get that luxury. But skin care is very important. Right. I mean, what do you do if somebody like breaks out or has reactions or something like that? Well, usually they know if they have a particular allergy, if they're concerned that maybe we're using latex and they're allergic to latex, you can do a test on their arm or behind the ear and you'll know right away if their skin starts going red and then you'd find an alternative. I mean, sometimes I'll use water-based spirit gum. There's a number of different things you can do. Sometimes we've switched from alcohol-based pigments to water-based, Ben Nye Magic Cake or Aquacolor. So it might not be as durable. It might need more touch-ups if somebody is in the makeup 12 to 15 hours, but you work around it. You want the actors to be as comfortable as possible. Wow. So uh, have you done any period-specific things, and do you like doing that? I love doing period-specific projects. I I think sometimes people think that's funny when I say that because they think, well, you're a monster guy. You are only interested if we're doing zombies and blood. But the truth is I think period character makeup is my favorite thing to do. The way I describe it is it's like stepping into a time machine when you clock in for work, and then you're living in that time period for the rest of the day. I've recently been working on a project here in town set in 19. 32. And mm-hmm. there have been days where there may be 400 background and wow. it has to be the right matte red lip, the right mustache, the right sideburn level. Everything has to be exactly accurate. And if you're working on a project with a big enough budget and enough research, it's amazing to help match that detail. That's great. So how do you do the research for something like that? If I'm working with a particular designer, a lot of times they've done the homework. Okay. And so they probably have mood boards that'll show exactly icons of the era or maybe magazine ads, different things like that. A lot of times if I'm doing my own research, I like to think about the psychology of the character. If it's something set in 1981, for instance, and maybe I'm doing housewife in their mid-30s, they're not necessarily going to be looking at Vogue 1981 for their look. They might have their look established from college or their 20s. So maybe their look, and depending regionally where they are, maybe it's a little more frozen in time. It's kind of carrying over from the early to mid-70s. So you have to think of things like that, understand the context. Yeah, that's what I like to tell people because a lot of people just want kind of a canned answer when they ask me for reference ideas for period things. And I have to say, well, I need to know a little bit more about the character because it's not the same. You can't just paint with a white brush and say, you know, everybody in 1920 looked like this because that's not necessarily true. I mean, it really depends on what the socioeconomic background of that person was, if she worked in a store, if she actually, you know, lived in a country, if she lived in a city, you know, a lot of different things that that would vary what those people look like. So uh, it's very interesting to do that. And your research has been impeccable. I know that, uh, you you know, you're one of the best at matching colors and and really bringing these products uh, that haven't existed back 
So it's pretty fascinating to see everything that your line has come up with. All right. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoy working on these projects and also to hear about different things that all of you are working on and all the different characters that you're trying to bring to life. It makes it fun for me, actually, to do these things. So you live in London now, right? I'm uh, mostly yes. based based uh, just west of London. But you work in Hollywood and you work in Europe and you work in New York. How do you get back and forth all the time? <laughs> you go where the work is. You know, I certainly uh, save my flyer miles. I think it's more and more these days the projects are, are scattered everywhere. So if you're willing to travel and if I, if I have enough notice, I'll consider the project and see where I end up, whether it's New York, Atlanta, Los Angeles, London. Because I started my career in London, it feels very much full circle to be back there working with wonderful artists, some of which I've known for 20 years. But wow. Hollywood is so busy right now. It's been wonderful to come back. And it, oftentimes when I'm here, I'm working on four or five different shows in a span of two or three weeks. Wow. You, you, you cram it all in when, you, when you're here, huh? Cram it all in. <laughs> Are you still doing the uh, Food Network Halloween one? You know, I did that for about three seasons, had so much fun working with them. But then their taping schedule conflicted with a lot of my work schedule when I was over in Europe. Oh. So we keep friendly, but I haven't been back there for a few years, maybe one day. But uh, I know they're still going and done some wonderful work. Was that fun to be a judge? Oh, it was so much fun. <laughs> It was it was amazing to see the teams because obviously the teams were made up of the, the best pumpkin carvers, candy makers, and cake bakers in the business. And of course, we got to try all the treats they made. So it might be a chocolate cockroach or a gummy rat or, or something like that. But wonderful people to work with. And I, I live for Halloween. So I, I had so much fun being a part of that. So you spoke about a lot of work in, in Hollywood. Now, what kind of trends do you see in the market and in the business? Oh, it's interesting to see that I used to feel that if something was shot in Hollywood, a lot of times it's set in Hollywood. But lately, I feel like I've been working on shows here that the story takes place in Portland or in Seattle, but we're shooting in Hollywood. So it's it's kind of nice that uh, a lot of shows have, have anchored down here. I've seen a lot of contemporary shows shooting in Hollywood, but it's nice to see that there's so much period work now from the 30s up until the 70s. So every show you get on, it's it's like that time warp again. Yeah, there's a lot more uh, period specific, a lot of 70s, 80s, you know, even American Horror Story went 80s and a lot of period horror type of thing going yeah, on as well. Period horror. And I know Glow is uh, taking place in the mid 80s. Uh, they've done some amazing looks. A lot of it's nostalgic for me when I see these shows that are based in my, my childhood. It's uh, such a deja vu. That's right. So you have your own effects uh, line. So it's called the Herb Box. So how did you develop this product? Was this something that you saw that would be useful to you or other people? Or? Yeah, originally there was a film I was working on in Louisiana about 10 years ago. And there were changes being made last minute where I needed to do wounds and cuts and when you're on location, sometimes you're very limited in what you have. So I thought I'd bring some molds with me because oftentimes if you're making prosthetics, you're working off a kitchen counter or in a hotel room or you might not have the space. So I wanted to do something compact. There's a lot of different molds on the market and most people can, in effects, can make their own molds. But I did one and I put it in a particular package and it was what I carried in my kit. And I had other artists say to me, well, that's really handy. Where'd you get that? Can I get one? So I gave some away and then eventually thought, well, why don't I put it out there and see if anybody else is interested? I didn't reinvent the wheel, but I just did the version that I liked. And luckily it, it caught on and people seem to really like it. It's gotten very popular. 
So you have like a whole set of them. You could do like wounds, you can do blisters, you can do cuts, <laughs> you can do, uh, you know, sewn up people and all kinds of things with these things, right? Yeah, there's a whole range. The first one was sort of an assortment of 15 different wounds, but then I did specific ones later, like just bullet holes, just cuts, just stitches. And I think there's 15 to 20 now. I've done custom ones for TV shows like Sons of Anarchy. They have a, a custom hurt box. So it's expanding every year, and I do a lot around Halloween time, obviously. I've done Plague and Zombie and more on the way. So how are these different from the ones that you get, like, at a Halloween shop that they sell, like the already-made prosthetic pieces that they um, kind of sell for Halloween? Well, the, the ready-made prosthetic pieces, a lot of the ones on the market are fantastic. So if you have a chance to grab those, I recommend it. But oftentimes when you're on a show, you might need something last minute. You don't have time to order some cuts or scars. You just have to add maybe a character feature. So if you have my mold in your drawer of the makeup trailer or the makeup room and you know a little bit about working with the materials, it's kind of like an ice cube tray. And you can choose, do you want to make the wounds out of gelatin, silicon, Bondo, even latex. So it gives you the freedom to make your own wound your way, but you can take it out of the mold. Oftentimes somebody, when you're starting out especially, you're doing wounds with nose putty or scar wax, and you can make it look great, but for continuity's sake, if you have to re, uh, redo that same wound several times, it gets a little tricky. If you're able to use the same materials in a mold, then you're going to have the same wound every time and it'll always match. That's great. I mean, they look really realistic. I was looking at pictures and it looks so real. It's amazing. And it looks like it's easy to use, too. So it's it's very, very user-friendly. Very easy to use. I just did a class at Friends Beauty Supply on Saturday, so it was all-day Hurtbox class. And some of the students in the class were high schoolers. And they'd only just recently started using makeup, and the results they got from the hands-on was fantastic. They They really understood the concept and made it work. That's great. So if you had so many kids in your class, what do you tell kids that want to get started in <laughs> makeup or special effects? Or? Well, everybody has a different path, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend everybody follow the path that I had. But the important thing is to, to believe in yourself and have confidence. If there's a little voice in your head that says, what happens if you don't make it? You have to kill that voice and just just believe it. Just Just keep going forward. And oftentimes I find that if you set a goal for yourself, where you actually end up might be better than the goal. So you have to allow fate to kind of take you where you're going to go. Do as much work as you can. Do your research. Practice. Assist people. And just, just keep a, an enthusiasm and a passion for it. Realize that people would kill to be where we are in this business. So appreciate every bit of it and share that love and kindness. That's awesome because it's the same for me as well. I mean, you started as, as a completely different field. I mean, I studied photography and art. I had nothing to do with what I'm doing now necessarily. But, you know, life takes you in all different directions. And as far as being a creative, you know, you can be creative in a lot of fields. That's what I tell all, you know, students that I've had in the past is you can pretty much do anything as a creative and go to any field. And makeup is just one of them, basically. And, Absolutely. Uh, but uh, all kinds of things you can do. So do you think there's opportunity there for, for people starting out? Or do you think that there's people missing in certain parts of the industry uh, besides others? I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I think there's so much emphasis on practical 
makeups and effects right now. It's just a matter of finding your niche. I mean, whether it's assisting, whether it's film, TV, theater, I just think the opportunities are there and you have to work hard for it. The key is just keep moving. If one door closes, a better door is going to open and you just have to be uh, aware of that and ready for the opportunities. Do you have a preference in, in, from film or TV or theater or any of these? That's tough. I, I definitely prefer film and TV. And I'd say the work I do in film and TV is about 50-50. Oh, okay. uh, and, and obviously, you know, there's with cable and streaming content, the budgets are higher and the quality has gotten unbelievable. So uh, oftentimes when you're working on a, a particular show, other than how long you're on that show, it, you can't really tell the difference between film or TV. It's the same level of expertise. And, yeah, it's uh, gotten so much better, right? I mean, it's just amazing to even say that, you know, there's more budget in cable or in streaming services than in a regular feature. It's just amazing Absolutely. to even say that. I mean, I feel very fortunate that I've worked on HBO shows. And from my first project working on Band of Brothers, the attention to detail is just incredible. So you, you really know most projects these days have, have stepped up the quality. That's awesome. I think that's all the questions I had. If you, Do you have any other parting thoughts that you want to put out there? <laughs> Well, there's, there's, I guess there's certain wisdom that I share as much as I can, especially when I teach a lot. If you're doing location work, I always tell people, think of five different ways to do the same makeup because you might have your preferred way of doing a wound. But I've heard stories about somebody being in a third world country and they have to do a head wound with a jelly donut, a chewing gum wrapper and some spirit gum and it worked. <laughs> so uh, I'm fascinated by that. So just don't get too caught up in just one method. Understand what you might use today wasn't around 40 years ago and they were still making films. So, you know, be creative and think on your feet. Just like a MacGyver type mm -hmm. uh, attitude. <laughs> happens all the time. That and, you know, if you told me at eight years old that I'd be doing what I'm doing right now, that kid would have lost his mind. He'd be so excited. So sometimes <laughs> you have to be your own childhood hero. That's awesome. I think about that as well sometimes, especially if I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling kind of depressed. I think, you know, if I when I was little, if I would have thought that I'd be at Disneyland like all the time and working actually with Disney, I would have probably lost my mind <laughs> uh, because it was just that I never even thought that I would get to Disneyland from uh, Buenos Aires. I mean, it was just like a magical place somewhere out there that you could never get to. So absolutely. Um, so it's a, it's very it's amazing to think of how far that you've traveled and look back into that. It is. I think it's important to remember your journey every step of the way and just uh, take stock of it. I mean, I was a kid from Chicago who worked in a video store in high school and thought, "Wow, movies would be fun." And here I am, twenty years in the business. So uh, it's pretty incredible. Uh, the thing that I'm working on now, obviously, as of um, right now, we're a few weeks away from Halloween. I'm headed back to London and I'm doing makeup I'm designing for a band concert. It's a Night of a Thousand Vampires. The Damned, <laughs> the Damned are playing the London Palladium. So wow. um, designing looks with a team, but uh, but I'm in charge of putting it all together. So it's a, 
ambitious uh, amount of stuff to to finish between now and Halloween, but really excited and looking forward to it. Just picked all my colors for the palettes yesterday. Wow. It's a live show and you have to make up all of these people? Well, it'll be a live show. I'm working with the band and with some of their stage performers. Wow. It's sold out in two days. Capacity is 2,000. And hopefully everybody there shows up as, as a vampire. Oh, my goodness. So it's pretty exciting. They're, they haven't done anything quite like this for Halloween or, or in London before. So I'm, I'm very uh, excited to be a part of it. Well, thank you so much for being here with me. I really enjoyed talking to you and I could go on forever talking about all your movies and your things. I mean, you've done so many interesting, wonderful things. Thank you, Gabriella. And, uh, much success with all your upcoming uh, stuff. If you need anything, you know where to find me. Of course. Uh, we will uh, post this uh, podcast and photos from Brian on our website at bestsemicosmetics.com. You can follow Brian on B. Kinney on Instagram, B-E-K-I-N-N-E-Y on Instagram. And you can also find the Hurt Box palettes at Friends and Nigel's and Makeup Armory in London, as well as many other pro shops around town. So thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in today for this edition of Classic Beauty with Besame Cosmetics. Check out our blog on BessemeCosmetics.com for even more info and photos of Brian's work. We would love to hear what you thought. You can comment on our blog or tweet us at Besame Cosmetics and let us know if you have any questions about today's episode or what you'd like to hear on future episodes of our podcast. And of course, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join us next month for more exciting updates. So long, Besame Beauties. Glad we could get together. Remember to stay glamorous every day. <laughs>